Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Hello again, this is Andrea Schwartz. It's the first week of October 2018. And here's another edition of Facebook Live Homeschooling Helps. And there's another lady there who's going to introduce herself to you. That would be me. I'm Nancy Wilk. And it's a pleasure being here, Andrea. I think this is a very, very exciting series that we're doing and a very important series. We started last week with the first of the Ten Commandments, and we know that that first commandment prohibits idolatry really very generally. God says he's God, and anything else is a man-made substitute. The second commandment is very similar to it, but it speaks more um, specifically about idolatry. But we don't have idols. We don't bow down to these statues. We don't We don't do that, you know. So right. we're good here. Right. Or, or we think we do. Let's put it that way. That's probably better. And whereas the first commandment establishes God as God and his prerogative to establish that every word that proceeds out of his mouth is what to be followed. The second commandment, as you said, develops it more, but it really points to the fact that man was created to worship. We're all worshipers. Whether we acknowledge the living God, we are all worshipers. So we're all going to worship something. So rather than just prohibiting worship of other gods or other images of other gods, the second commandment commands us to worship the living God. And this is where it gets interesting, because if you just look at that commandment as, well, I don't do that. I'm good. Check off the box. No idols in our house we're good. You're going to miss the point of number one, what this commandment actually is talking about. And number two, why it has a prominent place as number two of 10 commandments. So going back to the two great commandments, when Jesus was asked, the first one was to love God completely. And so he was affirming what we would consider all the things in the old Testament that tell us how to relate to God. But what I think is interesting, if you ask people to talk about or tell you the second commandment, and as you and I know, you could ask a lot of Christians and they wouldn't even know what it was, let alone that, well, I never bothered to memorize it. Well, they didn't bother to memorize it. Chances are they don't put a lot of attention or priority as to whether or not they're adhering to it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. usually this is what you get. If you did a Google search and you said the second commandment, this is what you'd find. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And that's where Google would stop you. So you can okay. say, all right, shouldn't worship the sun, shouldn't worship animals, shouldn't mm-hmm. worship this nature or whatever it is. So think about all that attribution to mother nature. When you actually personify nature 
as opposed to acknowledging God, gee, could that be another idol that you hadn't considered? You know, we say it's raining. Is it? Who, who is the it or what is the it? If we say God is the source of all things, then God also controls the weather. And so rather than complaining that Mother Nature is out to get us or Mother Nature is mad, right? These are the kinds of things that work their way into our conversations and they betray a humanistic, man-centered point of view than a God-centered point of view. Mm -hmm. But there's a second part to that commandment. And it's the one that I think doesn't get enough attention. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Whoa. Wow, yeah. So, Whoa. so what, what does that mean? Okay, well, first of all, let's talk about jealousy. Jealousy, we are, it's bad to be jealous. Uh, not necessarily. God, God identifies himself as a jealous God. So jealousy could be defined as that which belongs to you, but is given to someone or something else. Okay. All right. So, so he's we, not jealous of us. He's jealous over us. Like, well, this is, these are my kids. No, no, it's not just my kids, because this commandment applies whether or not you consider yourself in the family of God. Man was created to worship God. All men. And anytime anybody gives that worship and adoration to anyone else or anything else, they are violating that commandment. Yeah, we forget that. We do. We forget that. And the sad part about antinomianism or that perspective in Christian circles that says we don't have to consider the law is that what ends up happening is that people think that they don't have to be concerned about what they do and what they think so long as they nod their head and say yes to Jesus. Well, here it's saying showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Do you even know what his commandments are? If he's a God that wants your entire being, don't you think it would be worth it trying to figure out whether or not you're on the right side or on the wrong side? And to be very theological here, apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit, no one can keep the first table of the law. So guess what? Anybody who is not submitted to Jesus Christ and born again is a slave to sin and is at war with God. Right. Mm-hmm. See why the gospel is not very popular <laughs> in, in, yeah. in humanistic circles. Right. And, and we just make it about this one little tiny thing about loving Jesus and going to heaven after we die and, and not really recognizing that he is, he's God. He is Lord of Lords. He and that as the Lord God Almighty, the living God and only true God, he has things to say about all of life, all of it. And there are consequences when you don't do it. Those so, consequences 
are like that, that um, three generations and thousand generations. The, so obeying God or not obeying God is not just, it's, it's not like uh, it's not hurting anybody, right? It, it does. It hurts a lot of people for a long time. And don't make the mistake to think that it's just three generations because every generation that proceeds not loving God and not keeping his commandments starts that clock again. So you can have cultures and you say, how could this culture be so backward or how can they tolerate certain practices? The second commandment explains that, that they're experiencing a generational, sometimes more than three, oftentimes more than three, where certain practices, and we would call them pagan practices, are in play because they're getting the fruits of what it is they live out. They're, in other words, they reap what they sow. Mm -hmm. So this commandment is telling the people of God that the Holy Spirit's with you and is able to help you be on the right path to truly be a holy people on God's terms, not on our terms, and that there'll be blessings as a result of it. So your children, mm -hmm and your children's children will reap the blessing of your faithfulness, providing they too are faithful. Right. A lot of times we see consequences of, um, of sin and, and we think that it's, that God is being hard or harsh to that poor, poor, poor family or poor country or poor people. And what we don't recognize is that what he says is true and that the, the um the wages of sin is death that we all deserve that and that it is a a a gift of grace and mercy that any of us are saved from from our our sin but and you'd be surprised you'd be surprised all. how that's not the view most christians have most christians will get stumped when somebody says i could never worship a god who allows droughts or disasters or uh, children being murdered or abused. I, I mean, I, I can't accept that kind of God. Well, the real answer to that is our God keeps his promises. And the second commandment is where we get the promise of blessing and cursing. And so if you want to have any other terms other than God's terms, not only are you going to be teaching incorrectly, but you're going to reap what you sow. So I promised that we would talk about how to recognize the idols. All right. Okay. Well, I had to do that for myself. So I don't want anybody to think Andrea Schwartz here is pontificating because she did it all right. Let me state that I still have to examine if I have allowed idols to creep into my life and my way of thinking. So here are some of the idols. Perfectionism. I must be flawless. If I'm not flawless, I somehow have not lived up to my potential. So my perfection could be my idol. Or in terms of my children, their achievements are my idol. Or politics is my idol because this is where I put my effort. This is what I'm afraid of not doing enough for. And so it'd be a fair thing to say, whatever you spend your time and efforts on, whatever you're concerned or fearful of, that's who you worship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so 
it's not a bad idea to take inventory in your life and say, if somebody were to write down based on their observation of me, what it is I think is important and is vital, would they say adherence to the word of God in the pursuit of building the kingdom of God? Mm -hmm. Or would they say having a clean house, having well-behaved children, making enough money for retirement, Mm -hmm. being able to show the world that our family is problem free and we don't have any problems and there are no skeletons in our closet. You see, those are idols because it's a dependency on something other than God. A lot of homeschool parents, I would say, uh, even look at homeschooling, just the act of homeschooling perhaps as an idol or some sort of magic bullet or something that's going to fix things and make everything uh, right, protect them from the, the children from the evil. But actually, homeschool really just permits us the environment to to erect the standard of God's law purposefully and consciously in our homes. Right. So a lot of homeschool families think the problem is the culture. Okay, my kids are not going to go to public school. I am going to protect them from the evil in the world. And, you know, if our church has a youth group and they let public school kids in, we're going to protect them from that, too. Yeah, that's, they forget that their children have sin within them, that you don't have to go outside the confines of your home to see sin exactly. expressing itself. Exactly. And I think why a lot of homeschool families, when their children get older, can't figure out how we did all the right things and we didn't get the right result. The implication is that somehow or other God has failed them. And because they did not examine what they were communicating as the most important thing and making sure that their children received it, as opposed to just saying, yes, mom and dad, this is how you get by in this house. You nod your head and you say, oh, yes, yes. Every area of life and thought is to be governed by Jesus Christ. Once you realize that's the answer mom and dad want, rather than having the manifestation that your fruits show that. And so too many homeschool families don't allow opportunities for the fruits of their children to manifest. So the first time their children get an ex exposure to the world is in college and now they're surrounded by people who have a different world and life view and they can't, they, they can't combat it because they were never tested or tried. Right. They don't know how to navigate that. Right. And so it's not only important for us as individuals to say, do we have idols in our life? We want to be sure that we're not communicating to those who are under us in terms of authority and jurisdiction that we're not helping them see that they're placing something above being faithful to God and pursuing the kingdom. So our kids could be, um, we could be presenting ourselves as an idol in our children's life. Like they have to please us instead of all of us being responsible before the Lord. True. <clears throat> you can have one child who you say that will make mommy upset and that child doesn't want to make mommy upset, but just wait till you have a child that just doesn't care if mom's upset and that child's view is get over it, mom. Well, so what tactic are you going to take then? Then are you going to 
you know, come down as the enforcer and make sure that life is miserable. I had one mother who, by God's grace, was looking for help. And the fact that her son didn't seem to be buying into the family's world and life view, her solution was to keep removing benefits from him. He couldn't go and do certain things. He couldn't have certain privileges. And then she started taking things out of his room. And she was describing to me that now all that was left in his room was his bed and his dresser. He wasn't allowed any of the things um, that he might want to do in terms of media. And she made him sit in a room at least an hour a day listening to theological lectures. And I thought, whoa, we got to break this kid out of this, th this situation because all it will be doing is confirming for him that this isn't something that has to be internalized and coming from within him, that this is something from the outside. And so some kids will conform and unfortunately become good hypocrites. Others will not conform and they'll be the ones deemed rebellious. What we really want are individuals who understand that there really is no choice about worshiping God and obeying him. We don't have a choice. And for us to think we do have a choice is foolishness. Because if we pursue what we think is our choice, God makes it clear what will happen. Yeah. So I never encouraged my children to accept Jesus into their heart. Instead, I tried to instill God's requirement for obedience, whether or not you feel like it at the time. Exactly. God is God. Jesus is Lord. We don't have to feel like it. We don't have to invite him. He was Lord before we, before we were caught, were conscious of, of knowing him at all. He was Lord before that. And, and, and even by using the terms before God created time, he's not in time. He came into time in the person of Jesus Christ, but God transcends time and he doesn't need our affirmation to be fulfilled or to have his existence and his authority verified. He's telling mm -hmm. us in this commandment that it's not a question of just say yes to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's whether you say yes or no, there are certain things that are in play and will happen regardless. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the second commandment is not just about um, having idols that we bow down to. It's not, um, uh, you know, images or pictures or something like that, but who do we worship? And there is a right way to worship God. There's a, a right way to approach him. And when we, when we don't do that, then, then we sin, right? Well, I mean, a, a good example, since most of us don't live under monarchies, if you remember the stories of Esther and the story of Nehemiah, in each case, for different reasons, they needed to talk to the king. And they had to wait to be asked to come in to see the king or their duties would require it. And not only would there be consequences if you showed up and you hadn't been summoned, but in Nehemiah's case, he was concerned because he was really upset. And when he was going to come before the king, it was deemed 
inappropriate to come sad because you are in the presence of the king, mm -hmm. right? So as we approach our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, we need to approach him on his terms. And the terms are laid out through scripture. He doesn't only mm -hmm. want us to come when we're happy. He wants us to bring our petitions to him. He doesn't mm -hmm. only want us to um, be concerned with, or am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it wrong? He wants us to have pleasure and enjoyment and joy out of doing things correctly. So mm -hmm. it's not an exact parallel to those pagan kings, but it's an idea that it was common and, and most of human history would acknowledge you don't mess with the king. Right. Well, it wasn't just the pagan kings. We can't come before God and live apart from Christ. And so when God, you said, you said they were summoned into his presence, into the king's presence, God calls us to himself. We can't stand on the, uh, we can't say, oh, I'll think about it. You know, the only right answer to him is yes, Lord. Right. But until you uncover the idols, which you have baptized as good things, I mean, come on, homeschooling moms, of course you want your children to excel in academics. How could that be an idol? Well, if you're like me and you were taking a lot of nonsense from your children during your homeschool days and you couldn't discipline them because of their rebellious or defiant attitude because we have to get through our homeschool curriculum by so much time or whatever it is. And, and quite frankly, the kids figure this out really early that what's more important isn't that they obey God and obey you because that's what God requires them to do. It's more important that we get through our curriculum mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on right now. We have to get to the soccer game or we have to get to the piano lesson or to church or to, to church. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotta go to church. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so let's just, there's some, some idols that you've mentioned. Let's just kind of do a, a recap because we're, we're talking a lot about it, but you've mentioned nature or creation as an idol. You've mentioned um, curriculum as an idol. You've mentioned the parent ourselves, parental authority as a, as an idol. Um, what are some other specifically maybe that you've mentioned or maybe that you haven't mentioned that we need to be mindful of? Okay, well, money, you know, I, I, money. I, am I resting one day in seven? No, no, I've got to support my family. I mean, come on, do you think it's important for us? I don't want us to be on welfare, so I have to work seven days a week. So, so dads could be communicating the idea that God really, and we'll get into that in the next commandment about not observing, um, you know, God's order for how we live our life and how we live our week. Um, mm -hmm. Victimhood, it's a big one today. Establish yourself as somebody who had been victimized. Take no responsibility for what you may or may not have done that led up to that. And instead of saying, how should I live now? We'll just talk about the bad things that happened to us. It doesn't negate that bad things happen to us, but let's face it, Nancy, we're sinners. Not only do bad things happen to us by other people, we do bad things to other people. So if we don't acknowledge God as the sovereign Lord, then we're going to say that person's attitude or actions towards me is the most important thing ever. And that's what needs to be focused on 
as opposed to the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, something comes to my mind and that is our personalities, you know, our, our the personality profiles and all this stuff, you know, I just am the way I am and that's the way God made me and I don't have to change, you know, and that's denying our sin and that that's making ourselves a, a, an idol and, and not recognizing right. him. I call that Mr. Rogers theology. I love you just the way you are. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says while we were sinners, he loved and redeemed us. But God doesn't want us to stay just the way we are. Otherwise, right. we miss the whole point of holiness. Holiness right. is moving our lives in obedience closer to the person of Jesus Christ. And right. so if you don't wake up and ask yourself the question, what's important for me today? What am I going to focus my attention on and why? See, the why, people get the what very well. Okay, if you're in certain circles, you do your homeschool, you get your kids to school and you get them to their sports and you get them to their music lessons or you get them to the extracurriculum and then they have to clean the house and they have to whatever. And oh, by the way, we're going to bed, let's say our bedtime prayers. So the first time that God's actually brought into the equation here is at the end and then we're tired and we go to sleep and now I lay me down to sleep. I hope I wake up tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. That's not mm -hmm. what God wants. He doesn't want us to sacrifice as as moms, especially that I'm not going to be concerned about my health or what we eat or anything else. Cause we got to get this home school done. He doesn't mm -hmm. want sacrifice without obedience. Obedience will always trump sacrifice in God's economy. Right. So the second commandment is specifically about worship. What do we, what do we bow down to? What do we submit ourselves to as a priority? And, um, and that can really take a lot of forms that is often overlooked, even in a form of very, very good things. You know, work. God says we have to work. Of course we have to work. If you don't work, you don't eat. But putting those things out of their proper order um, and placing them um, above God as our, um, as our primary governor rather than his law is where we find ourselves bowing down to those graven images. Exactly. I think one of the most um, quoted passages that I like to bring up in scripture comes from the two final verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you haven't been in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a great place to go back in time to time. As you get older, as you have more experience, there are a lot of things that kind of go over your head at some points and now suddenly they make a little bit more sense. But the ones that I think are timeless at any stage are these two verses. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So the writer of Ecclesiastes put a lot of words together, but he's giving us the cliff notes here saying, this is the conclusion. This is your takeaway from this. Fear God and keep his commandments. Mm. That's the first two commandments right there. I'm God and you can have no other gods. And not only that, there are no other gods that are like me and you can't bow down to anyone but me, which means that you better know what it is I require. And then the writer goes on to say, for this is the whole duty of man. So if you're not communicating to your children and to yourself that your entire duty in life 
is to fear God and keep his commandments. And then he gives a reason. He says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Mm. Well, you might say that's depressing. I don't, there's a lot of things I know about me that other people don't know. So I'm going to be held accountable and judged on that. Well, yes and no, because for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. So all those things that I really don't want anybody to know about, I'm submitted to Christ. If I am uh, truly a child of God by God's bringing me into his family, then Jesus paid the price for that. So instead of being, oh, this is awful news, this is great news. It is great news. This is great news. But if we don't communicate that to our children and they just think that, oh, Christianity is a bunch of you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do the other thing. If it's just a bunch of don'ts, we miss the real meaning of this commandment. We were right. created to worship God and we will get our fulfillment in worshiping God. And don't confuse that with going to church on Sunday because our entire life should be worship. That's right. He is great and worthy of our praise, whether we feel like it or not. And, and he says that, that if we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. So worshiping God is, and is not just about walking around singing songs. It's not just about going to church. It's everything that we do. And it is in obedience to him and recognizing that he is the only one true living God. Yep. So it's really pretty simple. It is pretty simple. It, it is pretty simple, but there's lots of application of that and lots of places that we that we can stop and need to stop and scratch our head or examine our heart and say, am I really acting in a way, am I behaving in a way that that is in line with what God says, he who has created us, and has redeemed us and called us his own. Do I represent him well? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I obeying him? Do I really love him? Because Jesus says, if we if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. And he's referring back to these um, to these command these ten commandments that all the law and all the prophets hang on these. It's summed up in love, and that love is a is a fulfillment of the law, not happy thoughts and not. Not warm fuzzies, but actual practical doing what he says do. Right. And so, a lot of people have to realize, Nancy, right, that this might sound like, wow, how come I never hear this in church? Well, that's a good question. And good question. so let's talk about spiritual nutrition. Okay. Most moms know that it's best not to eat junk food. It's best not to give their kids, or at least they should know, a lot of processed foods because they won't develop mentally or physically well. Well, where are you being fed in terms of being able to understand God's commandments and do them better? If you're in a place that doesn't emphasize this, it's time to go find another place to eat. That doesn't mean that you divorce yourself from the fellowship of other believers, but why would you continue to nourish yourself if you're not being nourished? And so one of the things that I encourage homeschool moms to do and moms in general is to learn the application in all its facets of God's law applied to your life. And that's why I've spent the better portion of two decades focusing on 
helping women understand God's law and the need for them to be expert in it and not just rely on, well, I'm sure somebody will tell me if there's something important to know. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, uh, there's lots of resources. I know Calcedon is a great resource for um, for folks that really want to dig into to these things. Um, but, you know, as great as Calcedon is, it's not going to take the place of really just going and reading the Bible and let God's word speak for himself. But if, if somebody did want to, to have um, really further their understanding of this, tell us about the Teacher Training Institute that you do with Calcedon. Okay, so you can access the entire Institutes of Biblical Law as a course by going to ctti.org, and that stands for the Calcedon Teacher Training Institute. Now, some people say, oh, it's just for women. Well, I focus on women because women will tend to come to me in the Titus II fashion, and I'm supposed to help those people. But the Institutes of Biblical Law is by no means restricted to women any more than a lot of women thought it was restricted to men. And so what I've done, and it's almost fully complete, but if you start at the beginning, you'll probably not get to where I'm adding the lessons as I go. I've taken the lecture that Dr. Rush Juni gave on this subject, along with a reference to where you can access the written part of the book online. I then do a summary of what I think are the salient points of the chapter. And usually it's geared towards women because I know that's the audience who's primarily listening. And then I have a series of questions where you're supposed to think about, okay, so what are the implications? And that's probably where this is most valuable to people because having done this for over 20 years, I'll have people saying, I never thought of that question or that was a really hard question for me to even consider. And because it's not like, what did he say on page 12? Those aren't the kinds of questions. They're really a question for thought and discussion. So you know what a lot of women do, Nancy? They go through the course with their husbands and then they discuss okay. this together. And then, and, and oftentimes at the dinner table, they'll bring their children involved in it as well. And then I encourage people to write point of view papers, not on every section, but if you go, wow, I've really learned a lot from this, then mm -hmm. write a paper about it. Because mm -hmm. guess, and take notes on your reading, because I hope, and it's happening now with a lot of the ladies who have graduated my course, they're now teaching biblical law to other people, whether it's to young students or other women. And so as you go through this, you'll be amazed at how current events or things that are uh, emphasized in churches. And you'll say, wait a second, is that biblical? Because the goal is that women will be empowered to apply God's word to their lives in the functions God gave them and that they're actively pursuing the kingdom of God in a systematic, very deliberate and conscious way. And so I always tell people, watch out as women understand biblical law. The change will be, will be amazing. Mm -hmm. So there is no charge for this. You can do it at your own pace. And um, you can do it as a family, uh, even with your with your older kids. But these are these put the, the full uh strength and, and weight of God's law breaks it down into 
into ways that we can really learn to apply it and see how it all connects in so many different ways. I think it's a great course. I, done some of it, haven't finished it. I know you have. Um, let me make two clarifications. First of all, yes, it's important with your older kids because they can actually read the text, but I wouldn't exclude younger kids from the discussion. Um, okay. Because because they're going to hear that this is what our family does. We try to figure out how to apply God's law to a particular situation. And you think that the three-year-old isn't getting it, you'll be surprised. When that three-year-old is now eight and you think you're going to introduce this new topic, the, the, the son or daughter will say, oh, no, no, I remember when we talked about this. This isn't new to me because right. we, we figure they can sit in front of a movie and they can get the nuances of the movie. Well, they'll get as much as they get. Well, the same in terms of the discussion. But there yeah. should be lively discussion in that regard. And um, as far as it being free, um, I encourage people who do participate to make a donation to Calcedon because as part of the work I do for Calcedon, Calcedon has given me tremendous latitude in conducting classes and being available to people to clarify things. And um, so the support of Calcedon helps the Calcedon Teacher Training Institute continue. Okay, very good. Thank you, Andrea. All right, well, I'll see you next week and we will tackle Commandment number three. Number three. Very good. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.